And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Desperately Seeking Entertainment. I am one of your hosts, Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog and onstageblog.com. Thrilled that you're joining us today on what should be a very, very fiery, awesome, engaging podcast. Can't wait to get it started. With me, as always, is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's up, Chris? What's up, people around the world? We're ready to dive into some entertainment, some crazy news. We got a lot going on this week. I cannot wait. Uh, Chris, you want to break down the pod for people? Yeah. So if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the party. Uh, What we do on this podcast is, you know, Ben and I are huge aficionados when it comes to being entertained. We love to be entertained. So what we do is we bring our top five most interesting stories, topics, issues, whatever it may be in the world of entertainment to this podcast. And we share them with each other. We discuss it. We break it all down. The kicker is I have no idea what Ben is bringing to the table and he has no idea what I'm bringing to the table. So this way, the reactions that you're hearing from us, this is all genuine folks. This is uh, this is nothing scripted here. Um, nothing's prearranged. It's all original authentic. So that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to hear tonight. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Enough said. Enough said. So let's get into it. Ben, what do you got for your first story? Let's hit, let's lead us off, my friend. Go all ahead. right. So uh, let's, let's talk about something that we've been talking about for pretty much all summer. Um, you know how we talked about um, Disney's new streaming service that's coming out end of this year or beginning of next year. Um, Apple TV Plus just fired off a $4.99 price point, $4.99. Uh, just fired Ooh. that off to enter the game of the streaming wars. And it's kind of like uh, the old uh, Popeye cartoon where they keep lowering the gas prices across the street from each other. That might be a pretty obscure reference, but <laughs> that's what's going on. Uh, <laughs> um, they're kind of underbidding everyone, each other, and putting out tons of material and content. There's the new kind of... Um, the movie with Jason Momoa that looks like Giant Sea. That's the name of the movie. It looks like a post-apocalyptic kind of show. It looks high-budgeted show that they got their hands on. $4.99 price point. Chris, what do you think uh, how this will affect the whole streaming wars coming up? I know that Apple TV, as, as far as I understand, I'm a PC guy. Um, as far as I understand it, you have to have an Apple product to stream that. Either Apple TV product or uh, iPhone or iPad. Um, do you think this will affect people using, you know, other devices like Android devices and make them switch over? How much of an effect do you think this is? That's a good question. I don't know. That's, I mean, I, I'm a little confused because do you have to also be paying for like, like, you know, Apple, like subscribe, I mean, like obviously you have to have a phone or, you know, a iPad, like do you have to pay something already? And then this is $4.99 on top of that? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. In that situation, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's worth it. I mean, everything that I've heard so far that Apple has announced in terms of what they're bringing to the table, I'm not getting like excited about. So as opposed to like Amazon, who's got like a Lord of the Rings series apparently coming out, that's got, you know, a show like The Boys, which is fantastic. Um, So yeah, I don't know if I'm just, I'm not excited yet for for Apple TV. They've really got to kind of, you know, tease some good content for me to really get amped for it. Yeah, and it seems like yeah, I, I totally agree, Chris. And and it seems like they're they're trying their best. It's four ninety nine, but you can bundle it on Hulu, their streaming service, almost like you can do a premium channel. Um, so they're trying Ooh. to do it that way. That I just read that they're trying to enter into the kind of uh, peripheral arena that way. So you can actually get Apple TV bundled into your Hulu for four ninety nine. 
Um, so that's a really interesting price point. And also what was interesting about this is they're going to be releasing their shows. Some of them, at least week to week. So even their dramatic shows, they're going to go back to not binging shows, but week to week, which actually I'm kind of uh, glad for that. You know what I mean? I kind of like week to week shows. It gives podcasters like ourselves time to ingest each episode and talk about each episode. And I love listening to podcasts that recap episode by episode. So I'm all for that. Um, Yeah, I I think, you know, no matter what happens with it, I'm just glad that people are throwing their hats in the arena of this new technology. And so we have lots of creative outlets for people to build new shows that might not be part of mainstream TV. You know, the good thing about streaming is there is really no censorship. Uh, The only censorship you have is if one of your sponsors of your streaming device uh, doesn't like swearing or something like that. But other than that, anything goes. Yeah. So that was my big uh, story for the week, bro. Yeah. There you go. Love it. Love it. Good stuff. Way to lead off, man. Way to lead off. Um, All right. So for my first story, this was a pretty big thing that happened literally over the weekend. Like it, it, it occurred on Thursday and then by, you know, yesterday it was resolved. But Ben, did you hear the, the news about, so SNL announced the new cast. Uh, members right for this coming season season 45 i believe right something like that season 45 there you go there you go so we had three new cast members um we have a woman named chloe finnernan Feynman, Feynman. um we have a a gentleman by the name of boeing yang who is east asian um and he's actually one of the first like all 100 east asian cast members they've ever had in their 45 year history which is crazy to say but yeah i can't i can't think of a another one i can't no i mean rob schneider and my head right yeah rob schneider and fred armison were like like part filipino part asian but not like full asian if that makes sense right yeah Yeah. i don't even know what fred is he's just all over the place (laughs) he's a mutt (laughs) he's a he's a He's a mutt, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so for for everybody in the Asian community, we're like, oh my god, finally, like we're we've got someone on SNL, and then literally within hours, the whole thing went to shit because the third cast member, his name was Shane Gillis. Um, it came out that literally twelve months ago, um, on a podcast that he did, just like you know, desperately seeking entertainment, um, he had made some jokes. Uh, and with his partner on the podcast about Asian people and started hurling racial slurs um, when talking about them. And throughout the entire weekend, because when when stuff like this is found, it just kind of spreads like wildfire, um, people started to find more instances of him doing this, talking about specific Asian people like presidential candidate Andrew Yang. Um, also, like he also Oof. said some really homophobic things, sexist things. And Literally yesterday, uh, SNL decided to fire him before he ever stepped foot on the SNL stage. Now, I'll make it very clear. I I wanted him gone. I I think, you know, let me let me backtrack. So when this backlash started to come out, he tried to apologize, but he did like one of those non-apology apologies where he's like, "Look, I'm sorry if I offended anybody, but I consider myself a boundary pushing comedian, so sometimes I'm going to ruffle feathers and blah 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 blah." That's essentially what he said. 
um, which is the wrong, I think that was the wrong response to stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. And, I like it. I like the double down, the Trump, the Trump double down. Right. Exactly. There's only one person and, in the universe that, that works for us for some reason. <laughs> right. Exactly. Trump. For everybody else to forget about it. But yeah. the problem was, you know, it, it just, you know, it, 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 metastasized just kept going going growing growing and you know by monday he was fired and like i said i i you and i have both talked many times about boundary pushing comedians david chappelle lenny bruce i mean the people eddie murphy in his day i feel in 2019 there is a vast difference between boundary pushing comedy and just straight up hate speech and when you listen to what he says about asian people and stuff like that the way he's casually casually hurling out racial slurs i mean i'm asian so i'll just say the word when he casually says like words like chink and things like that it's disturbing that like someone could say that without like at least flinching the by the fact that they said that word out loud um ben i just wanted your take on the whole situation because and, and about boundary pushing comedy and the difference between these things and whatnot yeah it's tough you know it's it's really funny you brought this up this wasn't my topic but you know i had it highlighted um I heard about this. You know, the thing that's a real bummer about it is the status of SNL. You know, screw this guy. I don't care about him. But, you know, we've talked about how SNL is in a slump. They really need something to really boost itself up for the next season. And then, you know, they announce Eddie Murphy's coming back. And you're like, all right, here we go. You know, maybe they'll do something good. You know, we are, of course, um, uh, nervous about the whole thing because of last season or last couple seasons. But we're like, all right, they're trying to do something. And then this happens. So the state of SNL is definitely in a spiral still. Um, and, you know, Chris, here's the deal. Uh, you know, I talked a lot about, I spoke a lot about uh, Dave Chappelle's stand-up that just came out, Sticks and Stones. And what he brought up a lot of controversial topics, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, there is a way to present jokes in today's day and age and dance that fine line um, like Dave's LGBT um, bit that he had last week was definitely dancing a fine line, but it was funny. You could <laughs> not, you can doubt the funny. And then also I watched Bill Burr's uh, stand up that just hit Netflix too. got through most of that. And that he, of course, you know, you want to talk about ruffle feathers. Of course he does. He talks about topics that, are definitely taboo in today's society, but it's the way you present them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and I think when it comes down to it, Bill Burr is speaking from experience a lot of times. You know, his I believe his wife is African-American, so he's speaking about his own personal life. So that's what makes it funny. He's making comments about his own, you know, wacky personal life. So <laughs> it's not like he's talking about someone else's personal life. It's not like he's making blanket statements about all interracial couples. He's talking about his interracial couple or coupling or his, his marriage. Um, So (laughs) that's what makes it funny when you flip the, the, the script and start talking about all, you know, Asian people blank. That's when you get into danger zone territory and that's not funny. You're right. And you know, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but like, I feel like if you're going to be a boundary pushing comedian, you almost like it, you have to be an expert at it. Like, you, like we mentioned, Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, um, you know, the list goes on and on about guys that just know how to walk that, that fine 
line and Shane Gillis, who is relatively young, like if that was him trying to walk the line, like just very, very poorly done. And what's interesting, I've, I've seen a lot of people who, you know, a lot of comedians and writers and stuff like that, it, they almost like were split down the middle between supporting him and, and condemning him. And a lot of um, comedians that I, I know and respect obviously condemned him, but others were saying like, look, like, you know, he's, he's make, he's taking risks and things like that and, and whatnot. And again, you know, you and I, we both know comedy very well. And I think that, yes, we know risk taking, but this was on another level. Yes. He doesn't, he deserves not to be hired. The fact that it happened a year ago, like if this was like 15 years ago, then I could probably give him a little bit of right. leeway and be like, okay, right. Exactly. Right. I mean, this is last October that he's throwing chink around like it's nothing. And, um, I don't know. For me, as a kid who grew up, and you know, when you're Asian in kindergarten and you're bullied, that's the one thing that you're going to be bullied about. I, right. I heard that word hurled at me so many times, you know, as a kid. So when I heard it now, like I'll, I'll, I see red, like that's just it's just an initial reaction, like a physical reaction I have to that word. So like, yeah, it's just very disturbing the way that they just threw it around. So good riddance. Um, yeah, I think you you know you're you right. SNL missed. needs yeah. <laughs> SNL needs a lot of help. Hopefully, these new two new cast members will do the trick, and we'll see what happens down the road. But um, yeah, I'm, I, at least I can praise SNL for making the smart decision to let this guy go and not have him be a distraction because they they yeah. they can't be distracted right now. They need they need to concentrate <laughs> on writing. So, well, you know, speaking of like racial humor, and speaking of um you know, people that walk a fine line. Let's talk about Howard Stern. Howard Stern was, is mm-hmm. able to still push the boundary after 40, 50 years. I don't know how long it's been since the early eighties, um, pushing boundaries with racial humor, uh, sexual humor and, and everything. But the, and his audience that calls up, you know, there's, there's racism on there and they talk about how ridiculous it is, but it comes from a personal place and that's why it's funny when he talks about his parents or robin talks about her issues and all those things Mm -hmm. and it's you actually get to know the person as opposed to just flying off the handle so there's just ways that and you know chris as as you know you know i have many friends that are just it's like the rainbow gang i got friends that are all different (laughs) kinds of races right and there is you when you run into people that can make jokes and it's funny and then there's racism if if do you get that do you get what i'm saying like totally totally. when someone crosses the line you know what i mean and and you just get that feeling yeah to your point i think part of it is like you know with friendships and relationships and just knowing people it's like yeah you're given some leeway like i'll even make self-deprecating jokes about asians and things like that and around my friends and and therefore you know, we can laugh about it and stuff like that. But yeah, no, you're right. There's a different difference between that and just straight up racism. Um, and it's very rare that it happens to me where I get like hate from, from people. I, I think I talked about this when we, when we had, you know, your friend Robert on was that, you know, it's very, most of the time I get like the, the humor jokes at me like, Oh, like, you know, you must be the delivery guy or something like that. It, you know, I'm not, I'm not called like the equivalent of N bombs, you know, towards black right. people and stuff like that. I, I don't get that, uh, which, you know, it's a shame that happens, still happens today. But 
so yeah, with Shane Gillis, it was just it was different. It was like, oh my god, yeah, this guy's just hateful, um, and like, oh, it's just awful. So yeah, it's it's interesting how you know with with racism and 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 what's funny and what's not. I mean, it's we're still kind of feeling out those those lines and boundaries, but you know, you don't push boundaries by just throwing out racial slurs. That's not that's not like testing boundaries and pushing boundaries that's that boundary's already been set and that's out of bounds in my mind yeah yeah totally chris great topic man great great story good stuff good man all right what's your number two let's do how about this this was a crazy story um i'm on a streaming service kind of kick uh seinfeld is coming to netflix in 2021 in 4k did you hear this no yeah so this was huge story because People were, you know, uh, bidding for these giant shows like Friends. You know, I think Friends went off of uh, Netflix uh, maybe last year or something like that, went on to Hulu. And now uh, Netflix got Seinfeld. And they're speculating here in this this, um, article that they paid over $500 million for the rights to this whole show in 4K which Ooh. is kind of crazy. So remastered, no one's ever seen this show this crisp before. Um, so Chris, I mean, we've talked about how Netflix sustains this kind of crazy business model of just, you know, bigger, faster, more, more, more kind of thing. And they just keep buying these things kind of, you know, they were they were saying that they're not going to have any more of these kind of big movie projects like the Irishman or, um, you know, triple frontier, but they're still buying these things at, this alarming rate. Do you think um, Netflix can keep sustaining this like viability by, you know, I have Apple TV here coming in at a four ninety nine price point, And then you have Netflix buying Seinfeld, a 20 year old show, more than 20 year old show for, I don't know, uh, over $500 million. So Chris, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's playing loose and fast with, with money. I mean, I, I, who, who was Netflix bidding against to get, Seinfeld, you know, like, um, let's see here. Um, they said, well, this is speculation. They said NBC universe paid 500 million for the domestic streaming rates to the office and HBO max. Oh, so HBO max got for five, four twenty five mil got the domestic rights to friends. So it's just huh. crazy. It's crazy wow. that these old shows are getting these, this, this money. Well, the problem with Netflix right now is their prices keep going up, like their rates keep going up. And I, I mean, to be, I mean, we've talked about this before, like I'm not seeing anything on Netflix that's like, you must have their service for this purpose, like to watch this particular show. They just don't have that right now. Uh, if they, if they had one, it would probably, the closest they probably have is Stranger Things and that's divisive at best. So um yeah, I, I I just think it's silly to pay five hundred million for sign. I don't know. I just don't see the return. How that gets people either to buy into this to make that investment worth it. I I just I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think so either. I mean, I I'm excited to see Seinfeld in four K. Um, but as most people do, if you're our age, you probably own them on VHS or DVD because mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a that was a hot item when I was, uh, you know, maybe 15 years ago. Everyone bought me like at least one season every Christmas. Um, I, I think a lot of people still have them on DVD and those DVDs are fabulous, by the way, because they have like, all the commentaries and uh, it's great. Um, so 
I'm not really sure who this audience is for these shows that are like over 20 years old. Like, I, I don't know what the marketing ideal is. Like, are they going for the older generation or are they going for younger generation? In my eyes, it should be like newer, crazier content, not like older content. I don't know. Maybe people see older shows as stability in your streaming service. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. if you see that, oh, they have, they're kind of like a network. I mean, if I buy into them, they'll be around for a long time. So maybe it's about um, branding and like, uh, you know, re- reliability with your streaming service. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, me neither. I mean, the other thing, the other problem too is like the, the first season of Seinfeld is borderline unwatchable. It's just bad. Right. And even Seinfeld has conceded like, yeah, season one is terrible. Um, so you know, it's like if you're paying 500 million for this, then you're paying what, like 50 million for a terrible season of television. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't see, even like if you, if you get like fans of the show, like hardcore fans and they, you know, watch, I mean, how, how much are you going to watch it on, on straight through like back and forth? I mean, I'll be honest, I've, I've seen the West Wing on Netflix probably about eight times back and forth like right yeah my friend uh time. my friend dan's going through it right now he's like i gotta get home for the west wing like we were hanging out <laughs> the leather week and he's like i gotta get home for the west wing i can't he's never seen it before i'm like uh i understand that feeling i love that show oh it's freaking amazing but like i i for seinfeld i just don't i, I mean i don't know 500 million is a lot i think it's it feels like netflix is that like that child that you give $20 to and you just know it's going to be gone in like five minutes. Yeah. It's going to be all like biting. Like it's going to be like a giant bag of Smarties or something like that. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I just don't trust them with my money, which is weird to say, but yeah, it's, it's really weird. And you know, they, they, in this one article, I gotta give props to this article. This article was great. And I haven't really heard about this from anywhere else. This was geek tyrant uh, was talking about this and I love that website and they have great articles. And they said that, you know, maybe it's because they have comedians and cars getting coffee and that's going really well because they bought the back catalog and now he's making mm-hmm. new episodes. Now, that would be different if they said Seinfeld is coming in 2021 with a new season. Oh, my God. <laughs> for 500 million. Oh, my God. Like, you know what? I wouldn't, you know, new season, you'd be like, OK, whatever, guys. Now, if it was a new animated season with the original cast voices. Now you got me. Now we're talking. I'm excited about Seinfeld. You know what I mean? So um, if it, maybe, maybe they're gearing towards that. I mean, they already have Jerry on board. Um, You know, I don't know about the rest of the cast, but I I remember, remember how huge it was when they came back for curb your enthusiasm for those two episodes or whatever it was. That was huge headline news. I mean, they're still revered as it's still revered as possibly one of the greatest shows on TV ever. So uh, never mind sitcoms. So I don't know, Chris, it seems like a lot of money in my mind. Um, And Mm -hmm. like you said, those price points keep coming up and, and these new services keep rolling in, like Disney for six ninety nine and Apple TV for four ninety nine, and Hulu's price point has stayed pretty steady this whole time. And they just started adding new shows like uh, FX shows. So I don't know. I, Netflix has better watch out. Stop spending money. And you know, I remember I remember they had big news in uh, May or June, and they actually had their first uh, quarter loss in the company's yeah. history. 
So that was kind of crazy. I don't know. I can't wait to ask these questions at Comic Con to him. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait for you either. And we'll get we'll we'll talk about that more too later on. I promise you that. Um, awesome, man. So for my number two, actually, that's a good segue because I'm also going to talk about uh, a show in particular on Netflix. Actually, two shows that I want to talk about that um, I just want to give props to because amazing experiences. So you and I talked a little while ago about Mind Hunter. Yes, and I finally had time to kind of really get into it dude i like binge watched the entire series within like two days like it was ridiculous the whole series the whole whole freaking series the whole thing oh man consumed it very very quickly and um i'm can we throw can we throw up a spoiler can we let's just throw up a spoiler let's talk about let's throw up a spoiler right now yeah but but let's talk about it um yeah incredible incredible show um edge of my seat so to speak um, I'm loving the characters. My boy Michael Severus is in season two. Um, who I t- I tagged on Facebook saying like I-, I want this guy as like the DA of Law and Order now, and he was kind enough to respond <laughs> and say like Let's do it. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, no, just it's just a great show. And like the the people that they got, I think you talked about this before, but the people that they got to play these serial killers. It was disturbing how well they cast. Like the guy who plays the son of Sam, Ed Kemper, Charles Manson, like all the guy people in between. It's disturbing how close they got to the real people. But man, this show is awesome. Yeah, this show. I, I agree, Chris. I mean, and there's a lot going on. Okay, let me un- let me just unpack just a little of why I love this show. Right, just right off the bat, you have David Fincher. <laughs> directing a lot of episodes i think he does the first three of the first seasons Mm -hmm. um of like i'm sorry of both seasons and you can just tell it's all fincher and he loves this topic this mood he sets the whole pace and like you said it's a very slow paced show but you're edge of the seat the whole time Mm -hmm. like there are scenes that are very slow methodical and plodding along but they're so intriguing in what they're talking about it's like watching the zodiac for two seasons it's so great Mm, um and just you know and you know that has the david fincher color palette and there's a great youtube video on the fincher color palette um but just i love the look of the show the feel of the show but then there's also things going on in the show that i love um it has just a great cast it has anna uh torv from uh she was on the show fringe which i really Mm -hmm. liked that show when it was on um, and then um, the guy that plays Bill Tench, uh, Holt McKinley, McKinley, and he's awesome. I love Bill Tench. I love the character. And he's the more kind of stern uh, uh, FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Holden is just phenomenal. He is just so great. And uh, Chris, was he on uh, Was he in Hamilton? Yes, he was. He played, he's the original King George. Right. Okay. Um, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also the voice of Kristoff and Frozen. Like, Jonathan Groff's career – Nothing in his previous career until like you get to he did an HBO series called um, Looking, which was all about like gay culture and stuff like that. But okay, up until yeah, that, that, yeah, up until that, nothing he did would say like this is the perfect guy for Mine Hunter. Like nothing. <laughs> like <laughs> it, it is a like one eighty shift for him career wise. Now he's back on Broadway doing Little Shop of Horrors, which is like okay, you're back to doing what you did before. But man, he's he's pulling out all the stops. I've been, I'm so impressed with the dude. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, Chris, this is, this has happened time and time again. So, you know, Chris, I've, I've kind of talked about the show quite a bit, just how 
it's up there with my favorite shows that are on TV right now, like Billions and Atlanta mm-hmm. and stuff, and Saul, Better Call Saul. And uh, here we are, Chris. I just looked it up. Um, one nomination and one win for Emmys. Really? Just one. Wow. Now, that's just off of one season, but that first season is a tight first season. There are not many first seasons of shows that are that tight. Like we were just talking about Seinfeld, how weak that first season is. You know, you're still Mm -hmm. testing the waters. Where are we at? Where are we going with the show? They knew right out of the gates. And Fincher, more importantly, knew right out of the gates what he wanted to do with the show, what direction he wanted. And you have Netflix, who was spending a ton of money at the time, just saying, here, David Fincher, here's all the money and creative power you want. Make the crazy show that you want to do. And I don't know, Chris, I think there is. Oh, and then, you know, there's. I don't know if this is on purpose, but you have this girl, you know, Anna Turr from uh, Fringe. But then I don't know the guy's name, but, you know, their new um, head of the FBI at uh, Quantico, the uh, yep, the bald boss. He was on. Michael Cerrus, yep. Yeah, yep. he was. Yeah. And he was so great. Oh, that's the guy you were talking about. I didn't know that. Yep. That's that oh, my God. He's so great. And so they have all these like X-Files and Fringe alum on the show. I don't know if that's that's on purpose, but I love that. And so like. You know me, I like kind of like smaller actors that you just go, oh, that's that guy from that. And that's that guy from that. And just, you know, working actors. And they're just, and everyone's acting their ass off. There's not a part on the show that they don't give the actor a lot to work with. I don't care if you're a, a little guard in a prison here or you're just, you know, a side FBI guy. But they're just, I don't know, they're just hitting home runs. And this season, Chris, how about this? Last scene of the second season I still want to take a bath because that was disturbing. Yeah. So I, that you mentioned this earlier and I wanted to dig into that comment. What, what made you find it so disturbing? The uh, BTK strangling himself and masturbating in a hotel room. <laughs> okay. Literally the last shot. Okay. That's what <laughs> literally the last shot of the last season. Oh yeah. That, that's disturbing. With all his uh, mementos from all his, all his Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I wanted to throw up and, and then that's how they left us. They just left us. Right there, um, yeah. And that, you, I, I want to ask I you, do, about. <laughs> do you know the true story behind the BTK killer? Oh yeah, oh yeah, like, I know. I'm a kind of a nerd about this. Oh, it's bad, and it's, it's just bad. like, yeah, very disturbing. Also, very disturbing how like the murders in Atlanta were never solved, like that. Not really. Yeah, like we assume no. it was that guy, but like, man, like. Mm. Crazy, but yeah, yeah great and, show. Yeah, and so like you know, back in the day, you know, you know, Forensic Files and you know all the uh, true TV shows. I mean, I, I I've dug into my own serial killer lore, kind of um, fiction and you know uh, nonfiction books about it. But this whole show is based on, I believe it's the begin. I think the book is called The Beginning of. I think it's called Mindhunter, the beginning of the forensic science mm. unit at the FBI, aka the the hunt for the BTK killer. And then that book was turned into Silence of the Lambs. So you really can see how Ed Kemper is their uh, Dr. Lecter, if you know what I mean. So I just love that. that. He's great. And that guy is terrifying. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, the way they end season one where he's hugging Jonathan Groff and it's like, oh, God. It's just, oh, I love it. I love it. 
Yeah, it was it was such a great show. And, uh, you know, now that you've seen it, Chris, you got to go and watch the YouTube videos where they do side by side comparisons of the actors to the real people. Just I've seen a couple insane. like, uh, yeah, those BuzzFeed articles where they do the side by sides. And it's like um, unbelievable, unbelievable casting. Um, ben, the other show I wanted to talk to you real quick about, I don't know if you've caught up on it, but um, the real the righteous gemstones on HBO. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I, I think I have I'm into episode three, maybe. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, if we're talking about shows on the air right now, it's in the top five, at least in terms of just comedies. It is unbelievable how good this show is. And, you know, when we talk about Jody Hill and Danny McBride and the fact that they did Vice Principals and, you know, um, East, Eastbound and Down, like just having hit after hit, this is on another level for me. And it's just like, it's unbelievable. In this past episode, not to spoil anything, I won't, I, since you're not there yet, um, they do a flashback episode um, where they show like this family when they were younger and like all the, the children were actually kids and stuff like that. It's a jaw droppingly incredible episode. Uh, if this thing doesn't get Emmy recognition, I'm just going to give up on, you know, trusting the Emmys and I might even create my own awards. I know. I know. Is that what is that what it's coming to? Like, seriously, if that doesn't win, because uh, did vice principals win for anything? I'm just saying no. I'm going to say no right now. No, definitely not Eastbound and Down. And people still talk about those shows as some of the funniest shows on television ever. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. And so I don't know, Chris, that show. So I I was really you know, what was kind of shocking is when he got to the end of the first episode. Um. Definitely. I mean, the show is quite ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, um, but it's definitely a little more serious for Danny McBride. Yeah, Do you get that a little mm-hmm. more, you know, hitting heady topics and stuff like that. There's a little more kind of I was kind of appreciating how some scenes didn't end with a punchline. They kind of ended a little more dramatic. You know right. what I mean? Like they sh- they would show John Goodman on the first episode. They show him just watching tapes of his his dead wife. Mm-hmm. And their telecast from the 80s. And there really wasn't a punchline in there. They just kind of showed him wistfully watching it. And I kind of appreciated that kind of, um, I don't know, those little touches to the show. And then I was shocked after ending that episode to see that it was directed by Danny McBride, which just yeah. is great. You know, and you need someone at the helm like that directing an a improv heavy show like this, of course. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's so good. And John Goodman is so good in this thing. And... Um, Walton Groggins, who, you know, who's the other vice principal and vice principals, he's, you know, on the shield, um, incredible in this show. Like he's, he's ridiculous as well. He comes on a little bit later, but man, it's just, it's, it's one of those comedies that you're right. Like it doesn't end, like not every scene ends, ends on a punchline. They, they do go for some poignant moments here and it just works every single time. So I'm all in on this show. Um, yeah, for those of you out there who haven't seen it, it's on HBO Sunday nights. Um, it's totally worth it. It's incredible. Yeah, totally. I just recommended it to someone who was asking me for a new show, and I was like, oh, my God, you have to watch The Righteous Gemstones. Between that and uh, the Wu-Tang and American Saga show, I'm all in. So I just love – I love shows like like both of them that are, that are not scared to kind of take a crazy topic and do something different with it. You know what I mean? Like just like Barry and Atlanta. You know what I mean? Maybe we've seen the premise before of these shows, but the follow through is just crazy. Um, you know, we, of course, talk about that one episode of Barry that's just a, a constant fight scene. <laughs> and I just, you know, and then for 
the righteous gemstones to end their first episode with like pretty much a double murder, <laughs> um, almost Fargo style. You know, it, right. it reminds me of Fargo in a lot of ways, like how I showed Fargo to someone for the first time and she had never seen it. And um, she was like, I can't believe you were laughing during that. And I go, well, it's Fargo. I, I love it. I love laughing at Fargo. It's it's the greatest show of all time. Uh, or it's the greatest movie of all time. I love it. And uh, they were like, yeah, it's it's quite dark. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of murder and, uh, you know, wood chips and wood chippers and stuff. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, it just it becomes funny. You know what I mean? It, right. it becomes ironical and just how ridiculous these televangelists are living. Of course, that's the thing they're pointing to is are these real people in real life that have these billions of dollars just oh there are there definitely yeah. are yeah so they're definitely crazy. pointing they're definitely pointing at that real irony in real life even though it's a ridiculous show and i, I don't know just the follow through everything but you know what chris speaking of emmys and awards here there's another improv heavy show that's never won or been invited to the emmys and that's it's always sunny in philadelphia the longest mm. running live television show ever it beat i love lucy like last year so and that show has never won and is consistently bringing the funny. <laughs> like, even if there's a drop-off in the last couple of seasons, there are some episodes that are still so funny. Like when uh, Charlie and Max' moms go to live with each other. I think that was a couple of years ago. And they videotape <laughs> it and try to turn it into a sitcom, even though they're trying to kill each other. Oh, my God. This show, <laughs> this show is so genius sometimes. It's just so funny. And I don't know. It, yeah, Chris, maybe it's, maybe it's award show time, Chris. Yeah, let's just yeah. create one. Let's, let's yeah. just do it. So good stuff, man. All right, what's your number three this week? Number three um, is kind of a, a callback. Um, man, I have a theme going on this week. Um, Love it. And my callback is to MoviePass. Oh, right. Did you have MoviePass? I did not. Oh, shit. Well, me and uh, my friend Bobby, we had MoviePass, and we took advantage of that thing. Uh, let's say, what was that, like beginning of last year? Let me tell you, I saw like every Oscar movie. <laughs> I mm. saw everything. I saw every avant-garde independent movie of all time. I went to like every cinema. I don't care if it was a Monday night. I was like going to the movies, whoop, using the movie pass. And it was like 10 bucks a month for all you can watch movies. It was awesome. Um, it was a great service while it lasted. Um, of course, there are people out there that took advantage, you know, would give their movie pass to other people. Mm -hmm. They tried to write the ship. You had to start buying the tickets and then presenting your ID to prove you were the person with the movie pass. But at that point, it was too late. Then they, they slowed it down to one movie a day, not unlimited movies, and it was already too late. But Chris, do you think that, you know, with all these streaming services coming out, is there anything out there like this that can save theaters at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, I not. I mean – it's funny. I watch a lot of Shark Tank and when they present like business models and stuff like that, you can just tell, yeah, that's not going to work that well. And when, when someone told me about MoviePass, I was like, how are they going to make money off of this? Like that was immediately the first thought I had. I was like, that, there's no way this is a, like a, a long, long-term thing. And yeah, sadly, I, I think this is just a death nail in, you know, uh, movie theater having any type of resurgent resurgence if you will like i think we're, we're plateauing now and then it's just going to drop off within i think the next couple of years so yeah i I'm, I'm not positive at all about the future of movie theater going which is a shame it's a shame 
I know, because I love movie theaters. I love bringing the kid to them. I'm excited to bring them yeah. to more movies. You know what I mean? That's like one of my favorite bonding things is taking the kiddo to like a movie or showing them a new movie. So I, I don't know. It's kind of a bummer. And it's just one more thing that we're losing as a society, if I can go bigger, uh, where we're leaving the house. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. slowly just losing things that we can go out and be around people. I mean, regionally, I go to sporting events here, you know, like baseball games or hockey games, and they're empty. Or I go to the yeah. movies and they're empty too. And it, it doesn't matter if it's a big game or it's the opening weekend of a movie, there's no one there. And so it's just kind of sad to see these things go, but I don't know what's going to replace them, if anything. Are we going to just, I don't know, well, pretty soon, you know, all the polar ice caps will melt and we'll have to be forced to be on rafts <laughs> or something like that, get giant webbed toes. So, I mean, right. what am I really saying? <laughs> <laughs> what is what does it matter anyway exactly yeah um yeah i'm with you man i mean i think i i'm willing to bet that before my son you know turns his sweet 16 so to speak i think what's going to happen is these major studios are just going to release movies on streaming and like itunes and be like here you go like july 1st it'll be available on itunes and you can just watch it wherever you want to watch it like that's it and it's a shame. I think it's uh, the you're right. The movie going experience. I I remember as a kid, like just quaking with with anticipation and excitement for being able to go watch a movie. Go you you know, going to see a lot of those stuff when I was a kid. And just it stinks that that my son is not going to really get that type of experience for for much longer. I think so. We're and that's why you know just like you with your guy. Uh, we're taking him to as many movies as I possibly can take him that are appropriate for his age um, because I just want him to have that experience. Right. I mean, speaking of showing your kid inappropriate movies, did I did I share on the podcast that we watched uh, Hunt for Red October? Uh, yes, you a did. Weeks ago? Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, it was great. He, he still refers to it as a submarine movie. Actually, we talked about tonight. We we watched some Johnny Quest and he's like, oh, that submarine's like from the submarine movie. I was like, oh, Hunt for Red October. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I was actually, funny story about that. So I actually thinking about that story, um, I was going to show my son, oh gosh, what movie was it? Clear and Present Danger? Was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Patriot Games. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, you know, it was, it was, I was going to show him Raiders of the Lost Ark and yeah. I turned to my wife. I was like, can I, can I show him this? And she just silent. She just shook her head. No, like it was like, I had no argument. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Like, all right, I'll just wait. <laughs> Things like that. But well, it sounds know, like we're, we're it sounds there. like you need a road trip up to Central New York. Yeah, just with the, the little kid. guy. Just I got the home theater. Movies. I got the home <laughs> home theater in the basement. We'll uh, pop on the Warriors or something like that. We'll do it up. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Actually, it's funny. So that's actually going to leak into my um, this whole like theater like you know, going to theater and things like that kind of is segues into my next story. Um, ben, there was some interesting controversy happening on Broadway this past week. And I don't think, I don't know if you saw it cause it's, Ooh, it's slowly no. gaining steam. Yeah. So um, there's a play going on on Broadway called slave play. And it's a very, it's a controversial take on slavery in terms of like, you know, uh, almost like a, um, what's that? Like a Stockholm syndrome type of thing where slaves and, um, oh, of, yeah. of family and things like that. So it's a very it's a controversial thing. But the the writer who wrote it is a is an African American uh, male and, and whatnot. Is but, this a, Chris? Is this a play or a musical? 
It's a play. Okay. It's a play. Right. And uh, this past weekend, um, Rihanna, the pop star Rihanna, was coming to see the play, and apparently she is friendly with the playwright. And um, she was stuck in traffic because it's Rihanna, and apparently she did not arrive to the theater, or she was not going to arrive to the theater until about 8 20, 8 30. Uh, or excuse me, no, uh, plays, uh, let me backtrack. Plays shows that on Broadway now are starting at seven thirty instead of eight. So she wasn't going, she wasn't going to arrive to the theater till close to eight o'clock. Oh, really? And, yeah. So she oh, texts, close to eight o'clock. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So she texts the playwright and tells him I'm running late, and the playwright decides to like hold the opening of the show, like to postpone the opening of the show until Rihanna could get there, and. This has all these like theater elites and and it's a very divisive topic about like was that unacceptable to do because you're you're holding a show for one person to get there um you've got the rest of the audience is there they're ready to, they they paid it for a ticket you know they're ready to go and the playwright decides to like halt the opening which is also kind of controversial because how does a playwright have the authority and power to do that? Typically when these shows are frozen um, and go into production, it's the stage manager, it's the production team. They have, that's their call. Like the playwright can say, stop the show all they want, but no, we're, we're going on. And because if you do these delays, because you delay openings and stuff like that, it does have a ripple effect when you talk about, um, you know, now, now you have to pay the, the actors and crew overtime because they actually went over, their, you know, their budget. And that can, that can really have a, uh, a impact on the finances and whatnot. So Ben, I wanted your thoughts on like, what do you think about something like that? Like a playwright holding the performance just so a celebrity guest can get there on time. All right. Here's the deal. <laughs> All right. Kidding. I'm going to go with uh, Bruce Campbell and Spider-Man two. <laughs> and I don't oh, care yeah. if you're Tobey Maguire or Peter Parker going to see MJ in a play, you ain't getting in there cause you're late. Uh, there are mm-hmm. some things that I believe in in theater. Like when you started this thing, I thought it was going to be controversy about the show. Like I thought it was, you know, Oh, but yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I don't care if your show is called slave play or the Klansman. I don't give a shit what's on the play- stage. Uh, the door is closed. The door is closed. No cell phones, no candy, whatever you got, no bags crinkling. The play is on. Uh, I'm kind of a traditionalist as far as this and like playing baseball. There's certain things you don't do during baseball. There's certain, mm-hmm. you know, no, there's no crying in baseball and there's no entering the play uh, late. Th- that's it. There, I don't care if you're Rihanna or Beyonce or I don't know. I don't know who's coming to this play. I'm not opening those doors. Where is Bruce Campbell, you know, to bar the entrance? <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. I, I think that there, there, there are Bruce Campbells at those theaters. I've walked by theaters when they're running and you can see those right. folks sitting in the, that part. Um, but you've got the playwright coming out to overrule their authority in a way. And I just think that's a little ridiculous. I'm like, look, and not for nothing, but if, if Rihanna is truly a friend of yours and uh, respects you and respects the show, then she would, you know, leave an hour earlier than she did to get to the yeah, play. Dude, what's she so, doing? And then also like freaking a playwright, his job's been done for a while. It's not like, yeah, he, unless this guy was the stage manager too. <laughs> Which I highly doubt. I mean, the guy's very talented, I bet. But he's doing everything backstage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's running the rig backstage. He's got the lights. 
all right, if this guy is like the MacGyver of fucking like stage theater and he's just like, all right, well, I got the, you know, I got the lights queued up. I'm hitting the soundboard. And then if he's like right on that, you know, the PA and just goes, you know what? I'm running the PA. Hey, everyone, 25 minutes. That's another story, but probably not. I, I think his job's been done. The play is written hands off. You know, at that point, there's no rewrites. It's not like Arthur Miller can roll in and say, Harry Marilyn Monroe wants to come in. He right. probably did, but <laughs> that's a little ridiculous example. But yeah, no, Chris. I, I man, lo- major respect lost to this playwright, and major respect lost to Rihanna. I, that's, that's insane. Yeah, heck yes. All right, what do you man. Think? What, what do you think? Oh, I, I was take? totally. Oh, I'm sorry. My take is, um. Look, I understand that we're in 2019 and you've got all these, you know, we want to expand Broadway and bring in new playwrights that have never had work before on Broadway and things like that. But there, I, I do believe that if, if someone's work is going to Broadway, then there has to be that, okay, my, my, like you just said, my job is done as a playwright. It's now in hands of professionals that have done this before. You know, that, that age old thing of like, act like you've been there before. Like, this is where that comes into play. Like now you're yeah, handing right. the show into actual professionals. And when, when you step in and try to stop the show from starting because, you know, Rihanna is coming, um, it's, it's not knowing your role, so to speak. Like, you know, and uh, this guy stepped out. I thought it was very unprofessional. Apparently also he, he was texting with her during the show. Like she's sitting there apparently probably in the front row texting the playwright, like her thoughts on the play and he's texting her back. And, and by the way, the only reason why we know this is because he was dumb enough to tweet about it. So like if he hadn't tweeted about texting with Rihanna during the show, nobody would have known. And unless you're sitting next to her and you're distracted by the lights of her phone and whatnot. But again, it's just, it's just, yeah, and he's young. He's a young playwright. He's definitely in that millennial like age range, which I'm like, of course, yeah. of course, you know, it's like, um, but I think I was just gonna say that word. <laughs> I was just gonna say that I'm gonna be ageist on this. Yeah. I was just gonna say millennial. This is a millennial thing. You know, it reminds me, there's this great sketch. Uh there was this uh sketch comedy show called The Whitest Kids You Know on uh IFC a couple, oh, couple yeah. years ago, maybe 10 years ago. There's this great sketch about Abraham Lincoln, the death of Abraham Lincoln. And I just remember someone stands up and says, hold on, pause the play. This guy was talking to me, pause the play. He yells at the actors on the stage. It reminds me of that. Like, are we just so beyond theater that we are so entitled now that, Oh, hold on. Rewind the play. I want to hear what you said two minutes ago. It's so ridiculous. You can't do that. Theater is theater because it's a live visceral experience. And the more you mess with that, that suspension of disbelief, the more you're going to mess with the drama or the comedy or that real experience. It's not like a DVD. You know, listen, I love movies because I can watch them over and over again. Blue Velvet and Clockwork Orange. I watch them over and over again because that's a different experience than a stage Mm -hmm. play. A stage play should be, I saw this one play once or I saw Hamilton once and it was a fucking experience. I'm freaked out because of it. Not because, oh, you know what? I didn't hear what you were saying. Can you go back and say it again? It drives me nuts, Chris. Hear you, man. 100% agree. All right, dude, what do you got for number four this week? Number four, uh, I want to talk about, you know, I, I this is all entertainment here. 
And uh, there was I, – I, maybe I mentioned him a couple times is the Joe Rogan podcast. Chris, have you listened to Joe Rogan before? Not not much. I've, I've heard a little bit here and there, but not much. Yeah, I know that um, maybe a couple of years ago, like, you know, he was a little more kind of politically edged. Can I say that? He was a little more mm-hmm. – had some guests on that were a little more harder edged. But he's definitely – uh, broadened his scope of people he's interviewed and he has some really interesting guests on, but let me tell you about this one podcast. And actually it was really funny. I was going to talk about this tonight and my friend Dan texts me today um, about this one episode. It's Dan Aykroyd on Joe Rogan mm. and it is a fascinating podcast. They cover talks as you know, you know, Dan Aykroyd has his hands in everything. Um, Similar to Joe Rogan, you know, he's a comedian, but he's into UFC, he's into cars, he's into hunting, he's he's all over the place. And Dan Aykroyd, he's into, of course, writing and, uh, you know, acting in movies and producing movies, but then also he's into paranormal things. He's into cars himself, um, just all over the place. And the two of them talking was such a fascinating ex- uh, exchange of words. I cannot recommend this podcast. I don't want to spoil everything on the mm. podcast. But I can't recommend this episode enough. I actually might have to go back and listen again because there was, you know, sometimes, Chris, I don't know about you, but sometimes you listen to things and you feel like it was specifically made for you because these guys are talking about comedy. They're talking about movies. So I love that. But then they're also talking about UFOs and Bigfoot and ghosts and paranormal activity stuff. (laughs) I love that shit, too. And they're name dropping all of these kind of experiences like, oh, have you ever heard about this guy named Ed Shermer? Yeah, he was a state trooper and he saw this and he was a tester. They're name dropping these people that had these like experiences. Chris, I cannot recommend this one episode more. Um, Chris, any podcast you listening to recently? Anything going on? You know, I'm listening to a couple because uh, I drive long distances pretty right. much every single day. So, yeah, podcasts are my way of of you know entertainment usually when I'm driving. So, um, Lore L O R E is a great podcast. That's a great one. Really That's a great one. Amazing, especially when you're driving through you know Westchester, New York, the Hudson Valley night, and it's just like the creepiest thing ever. But, yeah, my um, uh, my friend Josh recommend. Oh, Josh, that was on the podcast. He recommended that yeah. one. And th- was that the one that had the the hippos of Pablo Escobar? Was that that one? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta find out what that one was. That was gotta, gotta find out. What that was. That's awesome. Um, no, another one that I'm gonna recommend. I don't know if you've heard. It's called Welcome to Nightvale. Have you have you listened to this one? No. So <laughs> it's this guy who created a podcast where he is um, this this just regular Joe who fell into a portal to another dimension uh, in the back of a Burger King. And he does this podcast from this like fictional um, tavern in basically like a Dungeons and Dragons type of world. And he has these guests on like, and these are like, you know, actual like comedians and actors and stuff like that. Like, um, you know, Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's been on it. Like uh, I think Andy Dick's been on it. Like a bunch of people. And they're pretending to be these like mystical creatures, and they just have like a podcast where they're they're doing interviews. It's freaking hilarious. So um, definitely highly recommend that. It's called Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, it's it's very I found wacky. It. I, I subscribed. That that sounds awesome. Oh, you did. Uh, it's 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 brilliant. It's freaking brilliant. And they have it's just it. Yeah, if you love like that type of culture, if you love those type of things, it's it's a great listen. So yeah, you'll enjoy it. 
Oh, and I, I found the other podcast that's kind of like Lore. Lore is really good because um, they had this, uh, I think it was called, Lore had an episode about the Housatonic Tunnel. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. That's And I actually drove by there. Like, I was Ooh. out in, uh, oh, my God, I can't think of the town in Massachusetts near my parents' place. And, oh, my God, that's right there. I thought about doing a road trip to it. Uh, it just creeped me out. Um, but the one about the wild hippos of Pablo Escobar is called Ridiculous History which is very similar okay. to lore and it, you can jump around the, the pod, but that <laughs> one's really good as well. And especially if you have long car trips that the wild hippos of Pablo Escobar was an epic episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Just the title ridiculous. Uh, you know, the hippos of Pablo Escobar. Like that just sounds fantastic to me. So. <laughs> and it's a yeah, true story. It's out of control as seen on stuff. Narcos uh, season three. Okay. <laughs> Did you know? Did you watch Narcos season three? I did. Um, wasn't remember wasn't, when they go down to see? Oh, you're right. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. He's feeding his fucking hippos, dude. That was a great episode, by the way. It was like that watching was Avengers Endgame, but he came like, out with yeah, Narcos. He came out with you know out of the shadows, and you're like, oh my god, I thought he was dead. <laughs> oh, it was great. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, so. For line number four, um, real quick, it's it's just a pet peeve of mine that I wanted to bring up to you because I think you would probably appreciate this pet peeve. I probably you know share my frustration, and it's very simple. Um, so every now and then, when we put up these statuses, when we put up articles and talk about you know things in entertainment that are you know irking us or real problems, like the whole thing, like the SNL thing with Shane Gillis, for instance, right. So I put up a thing about this on the website and some, I can't, I, I was expecting a mixture of reactions, but one reaction that always boils my blood, really stirs me, is when someone says, you know, there are real problems in the world right now and um, yet we're talking about this right now. And oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, excuse my French, I fucking hate when someone says that. And I just, yeah. I just want to say to respond to that person, go fuck yourself. Like get it. Shut up. Like that's such a dumb response to yes. It's like it's like someone saying, like, there are people starving in Africa and we're we're worried about this. Well, what do you want me to do about that? Like, do you want me to talk about that all day? Like when the guy says to me, you know, there's real problems, you know, in the world and we're talking about this, yes, there but this is a theater website. So this is a problem in our industry. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Rihanna Asshole. texting during a play is a giant problem in our industry. <laughs> giant problem. I can't fix the economy of Zimbabwe. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do that. I can't solve you know, the national debt. <laughs> Motherfucker. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I just hate these people. I hate them so much that when they sit and it's like, and you know, you know that the people that, that, if they're writing this in on Facebook, they're probably saying it in their circles of friends, and you know that their friends hate it too. So, yeah, like, yeah. it's I, playing I yourself. Would ne- <laughs> I would never, I would never encourage like physical violence. But man, like if you know someone who's like this, and if they say something to you like that, punch them in the arm and just say, yeah. "Don't be a Seriously. dick." Oh. that's such a dick thing to say so that's, oh, that's you know what's the worst you know what's the worst when this happens in real life like i'll be talking to people about like my issues with like last jedi or the star wars prequels or something like that right. and then they'll roll up and say you know guys there's real problems in the world 
and I'll be like, well, there's real problems. And then there's actual real people that watch things and actually gain knowledge about things and can have a discussion about things too. I hate those people so much, Chris. And I hate those people that are like, you know, you'll be saying, all right, I don't want to toot my own horn. Right. But you know, I, I, I got some theater background, did vocal lessons, did choir all my life. Freaking have bands in my basement. We're going to start practicing yeah. soon again. Right. I could sing a, a tune, right. I could do karaoke, whatever you need me mm-hmm. to do. I could sing Heck things yeah. a little better than others. You know, I try to limit how much I sing during the day. And one of the, oh my God, the thing that drives me insane is I'll be sitting there and I, and it happens a lot. Not like when I'm actually singing, but just like humming a tune to myself, just trying to get somewhere like in my day at work or something like that. And someone will roll up and go, don't quit your day job. I, oh my God. I want to. Ah, I hate that so much. <laughs> Screw these people. <laughs> You know, they're just doing it because they have nothing to say about the topic you're talking about, or they can't sing themselves. And you just want right. to go, well, then you sing. And then, of course, they say, well, I'm not going to. Oh, my God. Yeah, you nailed it, Chris. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it, my classic response. A lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, sick burn. How, do you, how are you going to respond? My, my classic response to people like this is, man, it just must suck to live your life, like to walk in your shoes. <laughs> And be viewed the way that people view you when you're saying shit like this, because like, I, I would hate to be you <laughs> like that is just, <laughs> like, to be hated every day of life by everybody I interact with. And I've said this to people like online, I've said it in, in, in person to people like it just, ugh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me want to, makes me want to quote uh, Ferris Bueller. You know, when they're dealing with the, the whole uh, restaurant Abe Froman part and mm-hmm. uh, a guy is like, oh, thank you guys so much for your patience and understanding. And Ferris goes, no problem. It's patience and understanding that helps people help people like us tolerate a person like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually used that Burn. line in real life during like oh. real intense moments. It was it was epic, by the way. I just want to quote myself. Good. So and yeah, so, just screw yeah. those people. Man. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just hate it. So. That was a great yeah. rant. Oh my god, that was great. That Thank felt you. good. I feel great. <laughs> I feel good now. Uh, what's your number five, dude? All right, number five. We went down a little crazy road because um, you took one of mine with that the racist dude that was going to be on Saturday Night Live. Uh, but I'm going to talk about the um, so on ComicBook.com, people are now betting on how many people will be arrested during the Area 51 raid. Oh my god, that's still on. Well. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I have my plane ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love it. Vegas odds makers have set the over under on people being arrested at 8.5 with five to one odds of it actually happening. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Vegas Hmm. has some prop bets out there of over Hmm. under 8.5. Chris, do you believe that? More or less than 8.5 will be arrested during the raid on Area 51. God, that's a good question. I would <laughs> I I would take the over. I, I'm gonna I'd go over, over on this one. <laughs> yeah. If it happens because you know these people aren't gonna put up a fight, you're not gonna have to cuff them. You're not you're right. definitely not gonna draw a weapon. You roll up with like a cowboy hat or even a badge just on the outside of a shirt. And just open a truck and say, okay, assholes, get in there. And you know they're just going <laughs> to walk in. I don't know, Ben. I mean, this whole thing, this this whole charging Area 51, 
Ben, I mean, there are real problems in this world. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, Chris. <laughs> I mean, it is ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. It is absolutely preposterous that people are doing this. But um, at the same time, I'm very curious to see how far they can get before they really are like, like guns are drawn and like you cannot go any further um, and whatnot. But well, yeah, listen, man, I, listen, I, 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 you know, I believe, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I believe they're out there. I believe in all of it. I'm like such a paranormal geek. I've listened to Coast to Coast for more than 20 years of my life. More, we're coming up on 30 or something. It's insane. And uh, I love the whole thing. I, I believe in Bigfoot and ghosts, aliens, the whole thing. Uh, but I'm still not going to storm Area 51. I mean, I hope they make it in. We we get an alien corpse out of the whole thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm, all, <laughs> I'm all in. I just, maybe, you know what? Maybe call me a coward. Maybe... Just say if you really believed, you'd buy your ticket right now. I don't know, but uh, right. I don't know, Chris. Have you ever have you ever wanted to champion something like this, something so ridiculous that you wanted to, you know, join in the fight or the cause? <laughs> no, no, not, not, not no. <laughs> there are real problems in the world. Uh, <laughs> look, ben, I'm I'm concentrated on fixing, you know, uh, Flint, Michigan's water situation. So you can just do this Area 51 all you want. But no, it's you know, for I think I think it's fine um, w- when other people do it, and I'm I'm happy to be a spectator from afar and watch watch the result. But yeah, in terms of participating, I mean, there's just certain things that I'm like, yeah, I can appreciate for what it is, but I'm never gonna go like Burning Man. It's a good example, like Burning Man. I can appreciate Burning Man. I would never go. You couldn't pay me to go to that. And um, chances are I probably wouldn't be welcome anyway. I'd show up in khakis and a shirt and people would be like, you know, what is this guy doing here? But like. Oh, someday I'm going know. to that. I'm going to go show up all shiny and chrome for Valhalla. I'm going to go look like <laughs> Fury Road. I'm just going to go. <laughs> I'm going to look like that. Maybe I'll wait till I'm bald and just do the eyeliner and it's going to be awesome. I mean, that'd be beautiful. That'd be perfect. Yeah. But yeah. Well, for you me, know what, yeah, Chris? I think things like this, I mean, they had an interview with the guy that actually organized it. Did you see that interview where the guy had a cape on? <laughs> no. And they tried to, <laughs> and they had him run down the street like he's going to, like how he's going to raid. And it's quite ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it borders on mean, <laughs> like making fun of the guy. Um, but it's like a news story out of Arizona. The guy, uh, it's out of control. Um, it's on YouTube. But Good stuff, man. You know what? I, as far as championing, <laughs> championing, championing the paranormal cause, um, I remember Larry King in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, actually had interviews with like Bob Lazar and Stan Friedman and all these kind of UFO mm. ufologists in front of Area 51, um, and it was on TNT or CNN, and they they had it hosted right out there, and the cameras is, were as far as you could get in and stuff. And I watched every single second of it. I think I replayed. I think I taped the whole thing. It was great. Um, and this was nice. in the heyday of the alien autopsy and X-Files and all those things. Uh, so, you know, I am a big kind of believer in the whole thing, um, even though, you know, footage has kind of slowed down or gotten more Photoshoppy over the years. But I don't know, mm-hmm. Chris, I, I don't feel like this is the way we should uh, find out if there's something out there. I think, you know, there's a more organized way. And You know, I thought that was really... You know, nowadays it's hard to find an audience with this stuff. Even Coast to Coast has dropped off in what it was, and Art Bell has passed away. So 
I, now I'm going down a rabbit hole of my geeky paranormal <laughs> knowledge, but um, I don't know, Chris, I just wanted to cover this story because it's, I don't know when it happened, when it's happening, but the biggest odds are out there. So uh, I can't wait to cover this. I'm going to cover this story in full on this podcast. I love it, man. I love it. Good stuff, dude. All right. For my number five, real quick, it's just a real, it's just a suggestion of something to watch if you haven't watched it. So we briefly talked about before we started recording about ESPN's 30 for 30. And um, they just released, I think, I don't know if they just released or if this came out a while ago, but I just watched it the other day. It's an ESPN 3030 about the Nathan's hot dog eating competition between oh. Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut. Have oh, you seen I didn't, it? No, they did a 30 for 30. They actually did a 30 for 30 about like Oh my God, I love the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. I love it so much. <laughs> so... Yeah, I can't. I can't remember the name of the, the title, but it's yeah. It's about the creation of the contest, like creation of the actual like you know major league eating or whatever they call it. Oh, ML the MLE. Yeah, I know MLE. Yep, and they talk about Kobayashi's <laughs> dominance and then like Joey Chestnut's rise to power. It's it's freaking phenomenal, and they show how these guys prepare and train for stuff like this, and it's it's insane. Like the way that Joey Chestnut like compresses his stomach and works out and like trains his jaw it's like there's you know people think that competitive eating you're just stuffing you know food in your mouth no there's actually like a science and a technique to it so you don't kill yourself so um yeah like it's a it's a great documentary definitely definitely recommend it oh that's awesome yeah i'm I'm such a fan of major league eating and i love fringe sports and i know i remember I don't know if I covered it on here, but they brought the Ocho back for one day and they showed <laughs> yep. dodgeball at the end of the day. And I just love how ESPN is kind of going this route. You know, I, I talked yeah. about how ESPN is kind of losing bleeding money now. And uh, they recently had Keith Oberman back to host with Dan Patrick on the Scott Van Pelp show. And that, that was really cool. Mm. And they did, they did a bunch of alumni stuff and that that's on YouTube. And it was, uh, it was all those guys kind of talking about their time at ESPN. It was, it was really great. And so, I hope that they start doing more because I think it's the 40th anniversary. I think it started 79 or something. I think that's why they, yeah. they all came back. Um, so nice. it's it's really cool that they're doing kind of fun stuff like this. And because the truth is, you know, it's really sad for me to say, but we don't need Sports Center anymore because we have the Internet. Yeah. I know we don't need movie theaters anymore and Sports Center, two things that I loved growing up <laughs> as a young adult, too. Uh, so it's really kind of a sad changing world uh out there but i love major league eating i love uh, uh chris you ever watch matt stoney on youtube oh yeah oh yeah me and the kiddo watch matt stoney that's a great kid channel <laughs> just watching him pound like a giant thing of nachos or ice cream it's awesome <laughs> love it man good stuff dude all right man well let's let's go on to youtube and yeah baby awesome what, you what do you got first? this week oh yeah all right, i'll go I'll first go, I'll go. All right, go okay ahead. you go you go all right, I'll go. All right, here we go. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out right now. Um, my friend Carrie uh, suggested this. Um, mm. She suggested Fear Pong. What? There's this thing called Fear Pong, and it's a game where you play beer pong, and there's these uh, coasters, and the coasters are what you buy. There's these... Uh, waterproof coasters and you slip in little kind of dares under the coasters and they actually televised the fear pong championship and this video has over like a million views last time i watched it 
It's called the Fear Pong Thousand Dollar Championship. Uh, it's nine minutes and twenty six seconds. It's a guy and a girl pl- facing each other. Um, there are some crazy dares in this. So every time the person sinks a ball, I believe how it, this is how it works. You can either uh, drink the cup or um, do the dare. If you do the dare, your cup stays on the table. So it actually affords you a, a different rack of cups. And I don't even know if they're drinking alcohol in this because it doesn't matter because it's all about the dares. Um, one of the dares is you have to call your mom on the phone and tell her she's pregnant or tell you <laughs> you're pregnant. And like the woman's mom like hangs up on her and says, meet me at home right now. <laughs> oh, she's super pissed. <laughs> so you have to watch this. It's super great. It's, it's a great. I just looked it up now. It looks fantastic. It looks oh fantastic. I haven't watched all of them. One of them is like a, a drag queen versus a uh, rapper or something like that. It's all out of, it's out of control. It's totally not PC. It's amazing. Check it out. Fear Pong. And then um, also, a, a new uh, video by my man, uh, Nerdwriter One, and he breaks down a lot of, well, he'll do um, entertainment like us, like us. He'll do writers and art and uh, TV and movies. And this one that he just came out with is called Why Sergio Leone, Sergio Leone Played Music on Set. And now Sergio Leone is, of course, the guy that did the No Name Trilogy, Fistful of Dollars uh, for a few dollars more and Good, Bad, and the Ugly, but also did... Um, uh, once upon a time in the West. Um, so he would actually have a Nino Maricone score the movie before he shot. Usually you write the movie, you shoot and then bring the score to, or bring the movie or rough cut to, let's say John Williams. And then they score. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, he actually would have the score on set. And I've heard um, stories about, um, you know, some of my favorite directors like Dario Argento, like when he made Suspiria, like the Goblin score was so outrageous. And if you watch the movie, it's just this crazy frenetic score. He'd actually crank it on set between the takes. And actors Ooh. actually talked about how uncomfortable the set was. So there was no resting. There was no like five minute break. Like the set was just filled with this crazy loud music. And so Leone uses it in this one shot and it's just beautiful. And he walks you through how you can actually see the actors react to the music and it brings a different kind of weight to their performance and the movement is all there and everything moves at this pace. Really great video. It's um, nine minutes and 19 seconds. Highly recommend it. Nice, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mine's really quick. Uh, Ben, I love seeing like news anchor bloopers. Yeah. Uh, Like, cause like you've got these very straight laced people sometimes saying ridiculous things and not realizing it. And there's a, there's a great clip that's going viral right now. It's out of Los Angeles. And um, it's a sad story because the, the reporter's talking about a accident, like a motorcycle accident where someone died, sadly. And, but in, in trying to get like, you know, information about the story, the, the reporter says, and I quote, <clears throat> we tried to reach out to the man who died in the pursuit. Uh, they were unavailable for comment. Let's say that again. We tried, we tried to reach out to the man who died in the pursuit, but they were unavailable for comment. And this this, this clip, which you can see on YouTube, uh, the the it's it's out of KT uh, KTLA um, or KLTA, yep. excuse me. Her name is Sarah Welch. Um, it's going viral. It's phenomenal, and people are commenting left and right, saying, "Man, you couldn't get a comment from the guy who died. Um, it's crazy." And um, 
One one person, ESPN correspondent, former ESPN correspondent, Jamil Hall said, man, she was this close to getting the biggest get in journalism history. <laughs> <laughs> so sadly, yeah, like it's sad that, you know, she's talking about an actual dead person, but man, like that, that's a great slip. That's a great slip up. And apparently she later tweeted saying she meant to say like, we tried to get the person's family comment but they're unavailable but yeah no it's, it's now a, you said it sorry yeah it's a it's a, now it's now it's in the history it's to the it's ages, in the ether so. that's right it's, the, <laughs> it's on the internet <laughs> love it man love it well that's gonna wrap things up this week dude anything else you want to share anything coming up anything you want to plug before we sign off well um we've talked a lot about we're going to comic-con soon um yep. and they yep. keep announcing crazy people um so we're going to be there trying to cover it we've you know you and me have talked about how how we're going to cover this thing but we'll at least have some videos and photos and maybe some stories and audio i don't know we're going to see what happens when we get there but um also speaking of goblin the um composers from the 70s with uh, italian horror movies they're coming to syracuse and i'm going to see them i think it's october 16th at the palace theater i can't wait they're going to perform live in front of the movie deep red uh, which is, uh, I, my Italian is poor at best. I think it's Profundo Russo, Rosso. I think that's mm-hmm. deep red in Italian. And they're going to perform live in front of the, the movie. The movie is not my favorite Dario Argento, but it is still going to be live and performed by the band that scored the movie. So I can't wait. And there's some ridiculous, crazy scenes of gore and violence. It's an old school slasher movie. So I can't wait to see that on the big screen. So that's what's going on with me. What about you, Chris? Yeah, not much going on uh, other than like the stuff that we're doing on the blog. Um, You know, definitely check that out. We've got a lot of podcasts that are coming up. Um, Brand new episode of the movie musical shakedown. We just did the greatest showman, the uh, Jackman movie that came out last year. And it was, it was very weird experience because the person I'm co-hosting it with, we're we're kind of friendly with a lot of people that were in that movie like because they cast all new york broadway actors in this thing so like there's a ton of people that we know and so one of those things where like when we're criticizing it we had to like preface it being like look we know a lot of people in this this movie we love you but like (laughs) here's the deal like there are certain things that are not good about this movie so it was it was a fun podcast for sure that'll probably be up um soon as well so again yeah pump firing all cylinders trying to get new podcasts up every single week uh, on that network so totally man awesome dude sounds good good stuff folks all right well we'll see you right here next week on the desperately seeking entertainment podcast uh, i'm chris peterson mr brent Foley. thanks so much appreciate it man see you guys